0: We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is sure to help in your journey of faith. Hear it twice daily. Details at vision.org.au
1: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're going to have a special focus today on the profound effects on criminals when they are introduced to victims of crime. As part of a restorative justice project, offenders are introduced to the harm their actions have had on other people. They talk together about the effects of crime, the harms it causes and how to make things right. Studies have shown that offenders who go through the sycamore tree project have significant changes to attitudes that make it less likely they'll re-offend once they're released. It's one of the outstanding initiatives of the worldwide ministry of Prison Fellowship. Two guests joining us over this next hour today. Darren Painter from Prison Fellowship is joining us. Also, Leanne Richter, who is a survivor of crime and a facilitator for the Sycamore Tree Project. The Sycamore Tree Project was written by Prison Fellowship International and is currently operating in 40 countries around the world. Look forward to a good conversation over this coming hour. So a special welcome along to 2020. First of all to you Darren Painter, welcome along. Good morning Neil, how are you today? Well thank you very much. And to Leanne Richter, welcome Leanne.
0: Morning, Neil. Thank you for having us.
1: Well, what a privilege it is to be talking about a conversation like this. And uh, just in case there are listeners who are thinking, "Well, this is only about people who've, uh, you know, got a criminal background or those who've been victims of crime," but I think we're all a part of a conversation like this today because there are some deeper Christian aspects that we might begin to unpack about what it is when you've done something and wronged someone or hurt someone what it might be to make amends we'll talk about some of those things but first of all why don't we talk about prison fellowship for a few moments because this is a magnificent organization with an incredible history an amazing foundation and Darren you're across all the the history and and uh, you must get asked about this often but uh, you know the significance of someone like a Charles Colson, who founded Prison Fellowship. It's got an amazing beginning.
2: Oh, absolutely, Neil. One of the things that amazes me the most about Prison Fellowship is that our founder, Charles, or Chuck Colson as he's known, was actually served time in prison. And it was as he was leaving prison that he really felt the Holy Spirit say to him, I want you to remember the men that you've met. And it was through that conversation with God that he then closed down his law practice and and began Prison Fellowship. So back in 1976 in America, Fast forward a couple of years to 1979, and he visited Australia. And then, mate, I'm so happy to say that in 1981, we kicked off in Victoria and Queensland. So this year, we actually celebrate 40 years of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ into correctional centers across Victoria and across Queensland and this nation. And for listeners
1: and their historic understanding of the foundations of prison fellowship, when we talk about Chuck Colson, uh, he was one of the aides for... U.S. President Richard Nixon and went
2: through the whole Watergate scandal and that's why he was doing time in prison. Absolutely yes uh, uh, as the story goes when you read his story he actually encountered Christ on the journey to court uh, and then there are some reports that say that he actually confessed to some stuff that the uh, prosecution didn't know about. I'm not going to say that's what landed him in prison but he he changed his tune when he encountered Christ and that's the beauty of of what prison fellowship and any ministry that goes into a prison does is it introduces people to where they encounter christ they don't just hear the gospel but they encounter jesus and he changes who they are as people and this is something
1: that isn't abnormal it actually is a part of normal life behind uh, prison bars isn't it that there is a significant uh, input that comes from prison chaplains There's significant gospel outreach and the numbers of people who actually come to Christ making a decision uh, is really, really
2: much higher than most people anticipate. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You touched on chaplaincy. One of the things I love about Queensland is from prison fellowship is in 125 countries around the world. Uh, And Queensland is so unique because what we do in Queensland is we provide at currently 52 chaplains across every prison in Queensland. Um, And when I say it's unique to us in Queensland, all of our chaplains are volunteers. But the beauty is that I've heard so many inmates say I couldn't have survived my prison time without the chaplain to talk to. Wow. And,
1: uh, of course, it's not just the prisoners either, but uh, the way that Prison Fellowship also uh, has these arms that embrace people who are... Former prisoners and uh, the families of prisoners, there's an awful lot of people involved. If someone is convicted of a crime, sentenced to prison time, uh, they're not the only
2: one affected here, are they? Oh, absolutely not. Um, I mean, the truth of the matter is that when, uh, when the husband or the mother does uh, time in prison, the whole family does time. And the interesting
1: dimension for today's conversation is that while we might think of prisoners, and not everybody thinks of prisoners in a good light... And we might think of former prisoners, we might think of their families, but a conversation today that also embraces those who have been the victims of crime, the victims of people who've been caught, who've been tried, who've been found guilty, who've been sentenced. And there they are behind bars, and there is a ministry to those prisoners, but also the idea of connecting the stories of victims of crime with those perpetrators of crime. And so, Leanne, I want to make a special welcome once again to you because you were one of those who was a victim of crime. I wonder whether you're able to share something of your own story.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, uh, to get straight into it, uh, I was 15 and I went to a party with a couple of friends of mine and... Um, some boys um, started giving me drinks, you know, and I thought that that was pretty special. You know, I'd grown up, um, yeah, with some um, rejection issues from being adopted and just some identity stuff. So, you know, really kind of craved that attention. Um, However, you know, it was the wrong kind of attention that I got, and um, but yeah, I thought it was special that this boy started paying attention to me, and so he was, uh, yeah, giving me alcoholic drinks, uh, sort of one after the other, so consequently, I got quite drunk um, pretty quickly, and uh, yeah, he uh, asked me to come for a drive um, in his car, and um, yeah, um, unfortunately, I got in that car, and at the same time, Um, About four or five guys got in the back as well. And, um, yeah, so I was taken down to um, the local showgrounds and, uh, yeah, I was gang raped.
1: Wow. Well, that's tragic and, in fact, happens far too often. Yeah. And oftentimes the perpetrators of rape and even uh, gang rape uh, don't come to a place where they are convicted and sentenced for their crime, a dreadful crime that that is. So as a victim of crime, you must despise people who might be uh, convicted of rape. And uh, and so people might be saying, well, why would you, Leanne, be involved in an organisation like this? What causes your heart to beat a little bit differently? Uh, you might be filled with all sorts of hatred towards men or uh, against rapists in that sense. So why are you involved with prison fellowship?
0: Uh, well, originally I approached prison fellowship because I wanted to be a prison chaplain. And, uh, you know, I got saved at the age of 35 um, and I had a radical salvation with Jesus. So um, I really wanted to to help, you know, and um, they didn't have an opening, but they actually talked to me about this Sycamore Tree Project and said, you know, you you would be a great candidate um, to go in and be a part of this and, and you know, share your story. So I kind of thought, well... And I felt the Holy Spirit, you know, really nudge me and, and, and call me on this one. So I thought, well, you know, this would be a, a good opportunity. And I'd not shared my story um, with anyone before. You know, it was a real sense of shame and, um, yeah, just um, some really bad feelings that went with it. So I just remember going in the first time, you know, with a, a group of other people and, and we sat around in this circle in prison with, with inmates and, you know, everybody's uh, crime victims are given an opportunity to share their story because, you know, so often we see that that's not the case. Um, You know, in the court system, you don't hear the stories of crime victims. So being in there and being able to share uh, what happened to me was an incredibly powerful encounter. It was actually, for me, it was a bit like opening a bit of a Pandora's box because it was something that I had, you know, kept suppressed for so many years. Um, But the most powerful thing, I think... Uh, The encounter that I had in sharing my story is something that has stayed with me and will probably never leave and that is that on either side of me, I had two big, muscly, burly men with beards and tattoos and and all the rest of it. And, you know, as I was starting to share, I actually, this emotion just welled up for me and it just came kind of out of nowhere. It was like a, a switch had been flicked and I just started to cry and you could hear the chairs on either side of me scrape and these guys were actually scraping their chairs along the ground and coming in and I had one arm come over me from the right and another arm come over me from the left. And then I remember one of them saying, go get the tissues, brother. You know, she's crying, get us some tissues. So, but yeah, I just remember them saying to me, it's all right, sister, we've got you, you'll be okay. And it was in that moment um, that... I went, wow, you know, these guys are like, they actually really care about me and and they were, you know, they were teary and others were teary and it was just in that moment that I went, you know what, you you guys are just like us.
1: You were in a particularly special place where people were hearing your story and uh, yes, they well aware of what happens when those sorts of crimes are perpetrated. Yeah. But what I can hear in you sharing that and the emotion that wells up within you is that, in some sense, sharing your story with those prisoners was actually, in some ways, uh, very healing for you. Um, you know, sometimes we uh, we talk about when we start to share the, the deepest uh, things from the recesses of our own hearts that we begin to experience some healing. Is that something that you're, that's what I can hear when you when you tell your story. Is that, that did that happen for you?
0: Oh, that is so true. It was actually the catalyst to me um, going and getting some professional help. You know, after that, you know, I realized that there were deep things that that needed to be healed. And so... Um, you know, I went into, I actually had a larger House ministry, um, you know, prayer ministry and therapy for um, a number of years, probably week after week, because as we know, God is, you know, with your healing, it's like an onion, you know, he peels back the layers. But definitely that experience in there and sharing what had happened to me, actually being able to give a voice to those things that happened to me was definitely a catalyst to go, okay. Um, let's get some healing done. And so, um, yeah, it was monumental. I'll always look back at that moment and know that was the moment that God used to go, okay.
1: Darren, what we're hearing is you get messed up on the inside when you're a victim of crime. All sorts of things need to be unraveled and somehow or other put back together in a way that makes you a whole person again what's happening in the life of the prisoner too no doubt they're coming from backgrounds that have messed up a whole lot of things and need a whole lot of unraveling so this sycamore tree project this sort of puts two messed up people together and out of that's coming something beautiful
2: absolutely neil i was just as leanne was sharing i was thinking about another survivor of crime story that we've got on our website the sycamore voices Uh, her name was Michelle and she was asked a question and the question was what did you expect to see when you went into prison and and she basically said I expected to meet the the scum of the earth and then she was asked another question what did you find and her answer was I found people just like me victims of crime Mm. and that's really in essence I did seven years of chaplaincy and I met so many men that were themselves victims of crime see we all deal with emotional pain and suffering differently some of us break out and we go and commit crimes but it's that emotional healing and the sycamore tree project opens up i suppose yes a bit of a pandora's box but opens up that opportunity for god to come in and begin to heal those hurts life culture and current events from a biblical perspective 2020 on
1: vision 1-800-316-316. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 You might like to join in our conversation today. Also, a Facebook question you can respond to on the Vision Facebook page. Do you think there would be less crime if perpetrators better understood the hurt they cause to victims? Two special guests in the studio with me. Darren Painter from Prison Fellowship and Leanne Richter, who is a survivor of crime, and she's a facilitator for the sycamore tree project. Leanne if we're talking about what happens now behind bars you go into a prison the sycamore tree project is uh, you know is up front and you've got some uh, you've got some uh, convicted criminals and you've got some victims of crime how does it look when you're getting together in a room and people who've been convicted of crime are being confronted by people, not their own victims, but people of similar crimes, what is the feeling like in the room?
0: Yeah, it's very um, it's interesting, um, and I think right from the word go, we we have that conversation with inmates that you know we're not coming in to judge them or to hate on them or anything like that, but we're we're in here to discuss crime and its impact and the ripple effect that it has not only on victims of crime, uh, but also on the perpetrator themselves and their family in the greater community. So. Crime survivors come in for an opportunity to be able to share their story like they did for me. Um, and it's incredibly uh, impacting. Uh, we've just done uh, we just finished off women's. Uh, we just did women's for the first time in all of Queensland. The Sycamore tree project went in. so um, and we had a, a group of women that were uh, incredibly impacted uh, by the stories of crime survivors. What it does is having that person there face-to-face sharing their story, what it does is it brings an incredible reality to, um, to the effects of, of what crime does. So um, we just had uh, Roma come in last time round, Roma Flood, who's just written her own book. Okay. Um, and her story is one of that her daughter was brutally uh, murdered, Um, she was stabbed 30 times and killed Um, and then 10 years later Roma's husband and her granddaughter were killed in a light plane crash so in that particular session on that day when Roma um, shared her story uh, the impact was so powerful and you know the women were just uh, crying and just so overcome with with emotion Um, but But, you know, just the impact was something you cannot really describe unless you're there.
1: Are the prisoners there because they voluntarily, of their own volition, turn up to be a part of a group like this that happens with the Sycamore Tree Project? Or are they leaned on by prison authorities to say, I think you ought to go to this?
0: Um, It's completely voluntary. So um, they don't have to be there if they don't want to be. Um, and we have had some situations where you know you've got a certain amount of people meant to come they come for one session and then don't come back because you know the reality of it is that it's going to be um, confronting um, and it's going to be challenging and sometimes it's going to be hard to be able to talk about and face the things that you've done to other people Um, however um we found this time around I was really super proud of the inmates in that the number who, who came from second week on came every week and they faced every session and every session you dug a little deeper, you explored crime and its impact, things like the ripple effect um, and you just saw time and time again that uh, they were getting it like there were moments, you know, moments of revelation, you know, like we have revelation with the Holy Spirit, um, for some of them who weren't yet Christians, um, there's those definite moments where they go, oh, you can see the penny drop. Um, and it's just, you know, when, when that happens, you know, that you're onto something big because that's what really drives home makes an impact and brings about change
1: the prisoners are there of their own volition which means they're the ones who are warmed to the idea that there might be something more that they ought to understand it's a little bit like Zacchaeus climbing the tree isn't it the sycamore tree and that's what it's all about because no doubt there are people in prison behind bars who are very hardened remorseless Uh, Even, I think it's the terminology, even psychopathic in the way that they have no emotion for anyone, uh, let alone victims of a crime that they might have committed. And uh, so no doubt those are the ones they're probably not turning up. So you're not actually going to be talking to those, but it's those who have a softened appreciation that there may be something more i don't like my circumstance the idea i don't like who i am maybe that can change that's the sort of person you're talking to
0: yeah um and it's but in saying that too you know uh when i ran it in men's you know we did have those guys who came in um who sat there with their arms folded and were very hardened to the whole process um However, what you find is over the course of the pro- program, those walls start to come down because, you know, you're, once they understand it's not them against us, it's not you against me, it's more of a coming together and an understanding, the walls start to come down and I've seen men who were very hardened um, at the first session and the second session with arms folded weeping by the fourth and fifth session as the revelation of what um, they've done has what has happened to them but also an understanding that in most cases it's connected to their upbringing or what's happened to them in their past once they understand that it's like it's like that box just opens and there's a weeping and there's a breaking down it's the most humbling honoring thing to be a part of to see that and and to be able to you know, be used, I think, by God in that way to bring about change and healing.
1: Darren, this is what happens with prison chaplaincy, isn't it? Because the chaplain isn't someone who's from the government. Uh, in fact, you're representing Christ when you're there standing before the prisoners. And when you're in those conversations, It, as you said, it's not a judgmental thing that you are there
2: for. You're there to help. And that's the heart of the prison chaplain. Absolutely. Um, One of the things I love about this particular program and chaplaincy itself is that you don't go in there and you don't only speak to those that have a faith in Christ. This program is open to those that don't have a faith in Christ. It's not a faith-promoting program. It's faith-based. It's based on the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, and we talk about that. But you do not have to be a Christian to be involved in the program. And it's a great opportunity for those that may have never heard about the gospel to hear about this fellow Jesus and what took place between him and Zacchaeus. But if you don't mind, I just wanted to unpack something a little bit more. Leanne's mentioned a couple of times the ripple effect. One of the things that I find in life itself is a lot of us do not understand the ripple effect. So week two of the program, you get like a bucket of water and drop a a rock in and watch the ripples. Then they sit down with their workbook and they've got a whole heap of circles and the the inmates are asked to talk about and and name who has been affected by their crime. And you end up with inmates that, that can't even think of anyone other than their victim. And yet when we look at society, we go, everyone's been impacted. And you sort of think, oh, that's fine for the prisoner to think about the ripple effect. But what about you and I? What about everyday life? What ripple effect is there when I wake up or I kick my toe in the morning and so I'm in pain and then I go out and my wife asks me something really nice, but I go and say something really cranky to her because I'm in pain. Like there's a ripple effect in every area of life that we don't take that time to unpack. And that's what I love about the Sycamore Tree Project is it's the opportunity to really look at who has my crime really affected? you know like you've got to say to prisons you've got children haven't you uh, yeah aren't they affected you're in prison well, never thought about that Darren. These are the questions that chaplains as well as program
1: facilitators get to ask. And of course if we include all of ourselves in there uh, taxpayer dollars paid for that prison to be there and uh, the justice system, is something that has come to us in Australia from Christian roots that we inherited from the British in colonisation. So this wonderful justice system that we have, uh, that there is justice, and of course that in itself uh, comes from a godly foundation. The idea that people are victims of crime and uh, crossing the mind for the first time for some, it's like switching the light on, Leanne.
0: Yeah, correct. That's right.
1: So when the light is on, you obviously, it's just very, it's all very nice to think, oh, someone finally realises their crime. But there's another step on from there, and that is, what are you going to do about that now? So how do you actually talk to prisoners about what difference it can make if their attitude to their own crime changes? Or the idea that, uh, that there is some things that can happen beyond the bars, the communications that they may have with those who are outside, uh, the idea of apologies, the idea of trying to make right some of those things that might have been wrong. Is this the sort of thing you'd be thinking of?
0: Yeah, exactly, and that, and that's part of our program too. You know, we have uh, one of the sessions is on uh, restitution, um, um, and so uh, in, in that we do a – they actually write uh, a letter, so um, it's not given – uh, to the their victim, um, but it's it's in the purpose of being able to think about, you know, what they've done, how it's affected them, um, how um, it's impacted their families, and then from what they've learned through the program, um, giving them the tools um, to understand what they can do in order to make things right. So, th- Uh, One of the things that they they do, and we present it at graduation to the uh, prison director, um, and he comes in on the last day on graduation day, and they have the uh, they all read their letters out, which is what we've just done. Um, so uh, the letters are full of understanding uh, why they've done the things they've done, um, you know, how they can um, take responsibility for themselves. ask for forgiveness and be able to take their lives into a different direction so in in that thinking about crime and getting them to the point where they have empathy um, for what they've done um, really is the goal in all of this to understand that ripple effect so that when they get out um, you know if there's that you know those thoughts of committing crime again Hopefully, the Sycamore Tree Project has provided them with that opportunity to understand completely and give them, you know, um, the ability to not re-offend again.
1: Darren Painter, if we talk about the fact that it works and there are opportunities for people to be involved here. I mean, this is pretty significant. Let's not wait till the end of the conversation. Let's talk about this now because people listening to us. And hearing Leanne's story and recognising that, yes, I've been a victim of crime and it's it's holding me back in all sorts of ways, people can actually participate in this in
2: prisons all around Australia. Absolutely. So the Sycamore Tree Project, our goal is to get that. I mean, our goal would be to have it in every prison in the country. It's well known for a project that actually works. It's a program that makes people face their crime, face what they've done and face who they are as people. Um, But to be involved in it, there's so many opportunities. I mean, if you're a survivor of crime yourself, you can share your story. You can come along and be just like Leanne and encounter that amazing thing that took place where it was a catalyst to see her healing. If you haven't received a full healing from your crime, maybe this is an opportunity for you. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to be a facilitator. You might be sitting back going, wow, how awesome would that be to take the gospel into the prison in a unique way and sit down with survivors of crime, along with the the perpetrators of crime, and and then at the same time, you might go, wow, this is so impacting, Darren. I just love what you guys are doing, but there's no way I can do that. I work full time or I don't don't live anywhere near a prison. You you can help us fund it. The biggest issue that we have is funding the Sycamore Tree Project into prisons. Everything in this day and age takes money. And I know
1: you'd like to extend the number of prisons around Australia that have the Sycamore Tree Project functioning. And uh, let me just point listeners, uh, even at this point, to sycamorevoices.org. S-Y-C-A-M-O-R-E, voices.org, all about survivors of crime. You'll find out about the sorts of things we're talking about today here on 2020. You know, as we talk about the victims of crime, the perpetrators of crime, there's lots of stories. Uh, There's one of a lady who was a bank teller, Uh, who was robbed twice
2: gun to her head Uh, give us an insight into this story yeah pretty amazing when you think about it so one of our survivors of crime on the sycamore voices is melissa and uh, her story was that back in 2000 she was went to work one morning just went to work you know bloke walks in puts a gun to her head says give me all your money as you can imagine, how shocking and how fearful would you be in that situation? She takes time off of work and gets over that, not gets over it, but faces those issues and finally gets the opportunity where she can return to work. First day back at work, another bloke walks in and puts a gun to her head. Uh, as Melissa says, totally just destroys her life for about two years. Uh, part of her story was that she couldn't even walk from the front door to the letterbox because she was gripped with fear. I myself have never been involved in that and, and sort of thought, well, I, I didn't understand that until it was explained to me that when someone comes and robs you, they have a balaclava on. So they know exactly who you are, but you've got no idea who they are. So every person in the street becomes a potential perpetrator. My goodness, I, I couldn't imagine facing life like that. Fast forward a number of years and Melissa comes in, takes part in the sycamore tree and shares her story. In one of the programs that she did was a gentleman that had done 21 years on and off for armed robbery. Um, and he sat down and went through the program. And at that point when Melissa said that she couldn't walk from her front door to her letterbox, it was almost like a light bulb moment for him where he went, I've done that to people. I've caused that. And it was impacting. Again, fast forward about five years and our state manager, Graham Hembro was walking up the walkway of a prison and this prisoner walked past him and stopped him and said, hey, Graham, remember that time we did that program and that, that lady, Melissa? And he's like, yeah. And this bloke goes, every time I think about her and see her face, it brings a tear to my eye. And I look at that and I go... There's a life that was impacted because no matter what, when he gets out of prison, when he's hard up, when he's looking for something to do, when he's got a gun in his back pocket, before he does anything, he's going to see Melissa's face and he's going to think twice about what he does. We've had an impact on someone. Have they encountered Christ in a way that we would want them to? Possibly not. Have we changed their their crime? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And interestingly, when we talk about taking things a little deeper than just bringing a message of the gospel, which will some people will say, "Well, isn't that what prison chaplains do? They take the gospel message and don't people get transformed?" Well, the idea of transformation happens in a process, and this is part of the process, and I'll ask you about this, Leanne, because when you go through the sycamore tree, process with prisoners and you introduce them to victims of crime uh, you're really following something of these things that we're talking about here when we get to the ideas Christians we think about repentance and forgiveness and restitution these are a part of our Christian walk but these are part of a process that you introduce a, is it five to eight weeks the course that you that you lead
0: yeah, it's generally um seven weeks. So each week is based around a particular um, thing like forgiveness or repentance or restitution. Responsibility is another one. So each week we focus on one of those and one uh, session leads into the other so that you're building on that experience and they're understanding it. And the good thing about this is that it's not you know, like Darren said, it's based in Christian principles, but it's not us going in there every week talking about God. That's not what we're doing. We're talking about these steps to um, to being able to um, take responsibility for crime and be able to come out the other side of this program, having an understanding of what has happened and an empathy for, your, uh, for crime survivors and what that does is through the process and discussing those things is it opens the door for the Holy Spirit to be able to come in and have his way. And that's the beauty of something like this project is that we're not going in there um, throwing Jesus you know, down their throat. We're simply going in there presenting this program that is based on biblical principles and it's just amazing to see the way that God comes in and he talks to these women through this project.
1: Now the fruit of what you're talking about comes in the discussion in the group and then eventually it comes down to writing down the feelings because somehow or other you've got to be able to bring those feelings out and produce them in a sort of, a you know, a hard copy way because if you can get your feelings down on paper, that makes a big difference too. That's all part of a restorative process.
0: Yes, it is. Um, and to get those feelings down on paper first, uh, firstly, we've got to go through confessing. So uh, one big part of this project is that you know, we want to see these inmates confessing. It's it's a big part of this um, process of restoration. Is that you need to take responsibility for what you've done, and you need to be able to confess it. So, um, you know, it's 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 hard work for some of them, but there's that opportunity there, and we do. I do always push for that to happen, so that they're sharing their story of what put them into prison what they actually did there's power in that because in that process of confessing what they've done they're taking responsibility for their actions and they're speaking about it so unless it's a situation where an inmate is in there and their case has not been heard yet in a court of law that's the only reason why uh, we don't push for that but other than that that uh, it's a very important part of the process is to confess what they've done,
1: Darren. Let's bring every listener into this part of our conversation because while as Christian believers we recognise this idea of confession and repentance and restoration is something we talk about in church life, as I'm hearing Leanne here, this is a uh, this is a dramatic illustration of what happens in all of us when we're dealing with those things that we do wrong in our lives in the way we make things right and uh, this is just a, it's a more dramatic way of talking about it because we're talking about robbers and murderers uh, but uh, for those of us who've not been convicted of anything but we still deal with the issues of our own hearts
2: these are the same things that are happening but in a different scale Absolutely, and, and it's interesting that Leanne's talked about confessing you, know, like you, you think about it, narrow it down to us in our own life I'm pulled over on the highway and police officer says, Darren, you were speeding. Do I say, oh, yes, officer, yes, I was. Or or do we cover that up and go, oh, I don't recall that. Like there's every area in life where we actually have to sit down and think about what we've done. And the reason we don't like to confess is because when we confess, we actually open up this Pandora's box of I'm a horrible person. I've actually done something that's extremely horrible. But we follow on from confession and repentance straight through to forgiveness and this for me is super powerful. We all know that from a, a Christian perspective, forgiveness is, is the be all and end all because when we understand and get that revelation that Christ forgave us, it changes who we are as a person. But for these people and for a lot of uh, perpetrators, the struggle of can I even be forgiven? What I've done is so atrocious, is so bad. Who, who in their right mind is going to forgive me for what I've done? And that's where we come in and we go, first and foremost, me as a person, I forgive you. Because you know Christ is the head of the church. We're the body. So the arms and, and the, the hands are on the body. So it's you and I that put our arms around people and say, hey, we love you. We do that in, in the power of Christ. And then we turn around and we can actually talk about this fellow Jesus and this, this, this God that created the heavens and the earth loves you so much that he sent Jesus. and and we're able to take a deeper uh, look into it because the program works in conjunction with chaplaincy. So someone comes in and does the program and and, and a facilitator sees, oh, you want to go further. Have you spoken to your chaplain? So the facilitator can then mention chaplaincy to the inmate who then has the opportunity to sit down with a chaplain and talk about these issues and talk about forgiveness and what does that look like? And when it goes further,
1: all the way is to a point where on release that prisoner is back out in the community and uh, this idea of uh, recidivism, whether they are going to recommit crimes. And uh, there's no guarantees of what happens when a prisoner is released back into the community. But when you've got a foundation laid, you're more likely to see
2: a wonderful fruitfulness of restoration after they're released. Oh, absolutely. One of the things I love about the Sycamore Tree Project is it's run in the UK and it's in every single prison in the UK. And the reason it's in every prison is because it works. It changes people and it lowers the recidivism. If we could get the Sycamore Tree Project in more prisons in Australia, our crime rate, recidivism rate would drop because people begin to take responsibility for their actions and they realise that we actually do have a victim of crime.
1: Okay, connecting victims with the perpetrators of crime and the emotion that is discharged in those moments of meeting how many times do these prisoners need to be exposed to this? I mean, do you find that there are people coming back for? I uh, oh, enjoyed that the, se- the first time. I might come back a second time. Is it? I mean, if you're in if you're in prison for year on end, uh, you might be coming back again. Is this something you're seeing, Leanne?
0: Yeah, uh, yes, and it's actually what's really interesting is this time round, after having done it in women's in Queensland for the first time, um, is there out of the. Um, five that graduated there were three of them that asked to be able to do the program again and one in particular uh, in her letter and speaking to the director of of prisons um, said to him that she had done so many programs in prison yet the sycamore tree project was the only one that was seemed to open her eyes and really give her something that she needed When
1: we talk about funding for this, some people will say, well, if this is so successful, why isn't the government funding it? Well, uh, the government's not funding it because this is something we take responsibility for as Christian believers. And a magnificent organisation like Prison Fellowship deserves for Christian believers to be supporting it in a significant way. What sort of dollars would we be talking about, Darren, that you need to actually expand this into
2: some other prison context? Oh, look, you know, from an individual person, you could support us by saying, you know, what for fifteen dollars a month, I want to help get this project into prison. You might turn around and go, you know, what I've actually got quite a bit of bit of money, I, and and go, you know, for a thousand dollar donation, this is actually going to help get the program into prisons. This is going to help get volunteer facilitators get, help get the materials needed to run this program inside a prison. It, it's it's a case of it. To be honest, money's endless. It it makes the world go around. The more that people can donate to us, the more that we can get the project running in a prison.
1: Uh, Let me reflect on uh, just a few thoughts that listeners have responded to on our question today, our Facebook question. Uh, The question today asks, Do you think there would be less crime if perpetrators better understood the hurt they cause to victims? Judy says there's a small chance that some of these people do a turnaround. It mostly depends on the support and rehab. Then there's the upbringing that they have had. Uh, You're fighting against an awful lot of forces here. Leanne, uh, what are your thoughts for someone like Judy, who's suggesting that, uh, you know, it all depends on the circumstances?
0: Yeah, I want to actually touch on uh, her comment about depending on the upbringing. Um, And that's that's not written in the program yet it's one of the most powerful things that comes out of it is that in that session where the ripple effect is done, and I've had this just this time around with one woman who came away from this program going out of all the sessions that ripple effect has just like it's gone bang between my eyes and I understand that the things that have happened to me in my life growing up have led to me and my crimes and it's also uh, affected her family in the way that her you know one of her children is kind of starting to walk along the same path so when there's an understanding um, of why you've done the things you've done and you can look back at your past and see that the ripple effect has gone back uh, through your past you know let's say for example an abusive father you know an absent father or or a crime that's happened to those people, you know, as a young person or as a teenager, how that all plays a role in leading them, or can play a role in leading them to doing what they're doing.
1: There's another comment from Majin who, remember the question says, do you think there would be less crime if perpetrators better understood the hurt they caused to victims? Majin says, no because unfortunately the people who choose to do these actions don't care about other people. They are only thinking about themselves. We all know our actions impact other people. When someone steals a phone, they don't think about how hard that person worked for the phone or what memories are on it, etc. They are only thinking about getting the phone. And uh, I think we sort of covered some of that a little bit earlier on. And yes, there are going to be people who are hardened, but those are not hardened. They are responsive.
0: Yeah, I want. Yeah, I just, uh, I just want to address that in that, um, um, you know, they are. This is not an easy program for these inmates to do. Let's let's get that straight from the word go. You know, it's confrontational. It's in your face at times. Yet it's done with a balance of grace and truth. But it doesn't shy away from the fact that what they've done is wrong, and they must take responsibility. And they need to understand how they have hurt other people and the impact. That that has made it other people. So I just want to address that question in in that saying that it is through this program and it is through the truth and it is through taking responsibility that these uh, perpetrators have those moments. Those moments are so critical where they get that revelation that harm that they have caused to other people um, is incredible, and that is what makes the impact in these people so that they're then able to see it from a different perspective and get an understanding of it. And then so when they do get out, we, we've seen it and we've, it's been proven that it works time and time again, that they have that heart change, that, that revelation in there where things change for them and they get a different perspective and an understanding that when they get out, things are to be done differently.
1: If you have a blanket no as an answer to that question, do you think there'd be less crime if perpetrators better understood the hurt they caused to people? If you said no, absolutely not, uh, no, no compromise on that, uh, you're not going to believe that anything can happen. But there is this element where if there is a A door open if there is an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ to the prisoner and to have a goal on that idea of uh, confession and repentance, restitution and restoration. Lillian says, because God has given us a second, third, fourth, fifth chance, then I would like to think that these people deserve it too. It's fear that makes us say no. It's not the love of God in us that says no.
0: Yes, yes, correct. And I also want to add in there um, I'd like to say to the listeners, if you think about a time in your life where, in the heat of the moment, you could have done something, um, you know, pretty bad. Like, let's in the heat of a, a very bad argument with someone, a very heated argument. And we see this time and time and time again. People, a lot of people who are in prison are in there because they've done something in the heat of the moment where they feel they've been backed into a corner. Um, It could have been by, um, you know, an abusive spouse or whatever. You know, it's gotten out of hand. They've picked up a knife and, you know, like, I just want to challenge, you know, listeners. Have a think about that to times in your life where you could have done something in the heat of the moment that's landed you in jail. And that is what we're seeing, is that a lot of people in here uh, have come from being crime victims and have acted on that and have landed themselves in jail. And it's in jail where uh, we can really get to them and present them with the truth of this restorative justice program that does make a difference.
1: It is a wonderful program and the fact that it's in 40 countries means that it works. And the idea of doing unto others uh, the least of these, uh, visiting in prison. Jesus said, uh, you know, when you visited someone in prison, uh, it's as though you visited me. Christians who do have a heart for reaching out and recognising that a miracle is sometimes necessary in a restorative process. This is the sort of thing I think people will really warm to today with our conversation about the Sycamore Tree Project and Prison Fellowship. Just asking you before we've got to, you know, sort of end our conversation today, Darren, we mentioned that there is a need for some finance. Uh, to extend the Sycamore Tree Project into other prisons around Australia. Uh, I didn't ask you how many prisons it's in. I know that you're all around Australia and it's in many prisons, but you'd like to extend it into more. Uh, the need for some finances, if people making a donation, uh, that's gratefully
2: received. Absolutely, Neil. Um, any donation over $2 is tax deductible as well. Um, and you can jump on. We make it so easy. You can jump onto our website, prisonfellowship.org.au. There's a Donate Now button and you can go through. You can do a one-off donation. You can do a monthly donation where you want to say, you know what, I love what Leanne has said. I love listening to the story of of you've got Leanne who is a survivor of crime that not only did the project and talked about it from that perspective but loved it so much that became a facilitator i mean leanne goes in the prison and faces perpetrators quite regularly because she saw the power that the program has on both sides of the fence and so you might sit back and go wow i love that that's really done something in my heart i want to help Help by giving us more finances to be able to get the program into more prisons. Well, here we are, almost on, the end of financial year. So for
1: listeners who might be thinking, I can support the good work of Prison Fellowship, you can go to prisonfellowship.org.au And for those who might want to connect, you might yourself be the victim of crime and maybe you're still working through some things and you might have all sorts of tentative fears about even becoming involved. But my encouragement would be to make contact today with the Sycamore Tree Project, sycamorevoices.org. That's sycamore, S-Y-C-A-M-O-R-E, voices.org. And there'll be detail there about survivors of crime and detail there about how you might become involved yourself in the Sycamore Tree Project. Uh, To both of you today, Darren Painter from Prison Fellowship and also Leanne Richter, who is a survivor of crime and a facilitator for the Sycamore Tree Project. Uh, Just uh, God's richest blessing on the two of you. And thank you so much uh, to both of you for being part of our conversation today on 2020.
0: Well, thanks for having us. We've really enjoyed it.
2: Thanks very much, Neil. Appreciate it.